Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week we have got on the show, we've got a guy by the name of Jeremy Fitzgerald. Jamie is comes from True Blue Farming Stock up in Gisborne on the East Coast. Jamie's been on sheep and beef property, moved to Tauranga, he's been a fencer. And then he's, uh, he's won world records um, crossing the transatlantic. He's been on uh, TV with First Crossings with his... Uh, partner in command Kevin he now runs a business oh yeah now he's hang up with Sir Edmund Hillary we're going to talk about that a lot and he's also navigated unassisted without horses dogs or tractors to the South Pole so he's a pretty pretty amazing fella and human being and we're pretty lucky to have him on the show uh, we talk a lot about uh, peak performance and his business which is inspiring performance and we talk about like what constitutes peak performance we talk about a lot of conversations he had with Sir Ed, uh, purpose, fear of failure, the stigma of failure, accountability, leadership, resilience, and how we navigate this uh, sometimes this big bad world that we live in. And actually, we, we're pretty positive about it in terms of the opportunities, depending on the mindset that we choose to take with it. So uh, sit back, listen and learn as always, take notes. Um, we do this because we want you to become better. Obviously, if you're driving, don't take notes, but enjoy this one. He's a difficult bloke to pin down only because he's so bloody good and so busy. So uh, it's a real treat. So enjoy. We've got on the show uh, a bloke by the name of Jamie Fitzgerald. Uh, Jamie has a illustrious career. He'll fill us in on that shortly. Jamie uh, comes back from the uh, originally, I think, from the back blocks of Gisborne, and uh, he's been a fencer. He understands the primary sector and how how we roll in that place, and um, probably rather than me talk about it, I'll introduce Jamie. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, awesome, mate. Good to be here. Good. Good to have you here, mate. Great to uh, get this one lined up. So, Jamie, selfishly for our listeners, can you give us a little uh, sort of warp speed run through your career, where you grew up, <laughs> what you did, what you've done, some of your you know, pretty, I know you're a humble fella, but some of your pretty amazing achievements over life and then where you are now. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, kia ora folks. Um, so yeah, I'm Jamie. I was born on the, in the headwaters of the Motu River in Gisborne. So for anyone up the East Coast there, they'll know, um, the Whakarau Road. Uh, they'll know where I'm, I'm sort of talking about. And from sheep and beef, one day my dad, he went to to Tauranga to buy a sheepdog and instead he bought a kiwifruit and avocado orchard. <laughs> so uh, so if we're going to talk about an unpredictable future today, then um, maybe it started off with that. But then, yeah, grew up in, in Tauranga, did a lot of rowing and sport and things at school, um, ended up rowing for New Zealand overseas. Um, but to pay for all of that, I drew a lot from my skills growing up on the farm and had a farm fencing business. So after a little while, I thought, I'll do some study, went through management and marketing, ended up in financial services somehow in a bank. Um, that didn't last long, though. I sort of <laughs> saw the error of my ways. <laughs> and then, yeah, a few adventures kind of kicked in. So rowing the Atlantic 
going to the South Pole, living up in the Arctic for a while. Um, the Te Araroa Trail with a whole bunch of awesome Kiwi kids that a lot of your listeners will will know about um, traveling the length of New Zealand. But then professionally, the interesting thing for me has been with this business, inspiring performance. So helping, you know, government agencies or aspirational businesses, you know, grow bigger, better, faster. Um, and through clarity of purpose, direction, and and so on. So I've had the chance to meet lo- lots of different groups who just, you know, want to achieve peak performance. And it's been a blast, you know, combining the adventure side of what I've done um, all with this TV show, First Crossings and stuff, um, with actual business models and, and what's happening out there with leaders and leadership today. Awesome, Jamie. It's great to have you here, mate. I mean, that's uh, for listeners, there's a... He's a pretty humble fellow. There's a number of number of accolades in there already. Jamie, I'm going to start, kick it off if, if you can, and throw the ball to you around. Um, what does performance mean for you? Yeah. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm this kind of believer that there's, there's nothing so practical as proven theory. You know, so because you, I, I sort of sometimes stumble over or I get myself caught up in knots by trying to overanalyze stuff or overthink stuff. But if we know about what works with others, it's kind of easy for me to just copy the process because we can trust in a process if it's proven. Um, so to come back to the question around performance, for me, it would be about continually trying to exceed our own best practice in pursuit of a really clear purpose. Uh, and, and and if we're being deliberate with stuff in pursuit of that goal or a shared goal, if you're in a team or business, um, you know, it's about choices. So great performers or great performance has to be about making deliberate choices. And and often what we say no to says more about us than when we say yes to something, right? So yeah, I think I think that's what it's about. Um and it's that's played pretty accurately for me, whether you're dragging sleds to the South Pole or trying to move into a new market offshore. Um, yeah, owning a decision. Um, and yeah, so that's that's performance for me, mate. Yeah, I, I knew it would be a solid answer. Um, what do you think gets in the way, the blocks and barriers to people performing to their true potential? Because I know you are you're right in the lane on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? You know, like, because people talk about you know, rowing the Atlantic, for example, and they're like, oh, wow, you, you won this big race. And, you know, it was me and this mate, Kevin. And, you know, it's a 5,000K race across the ocean. And the, the funny thing about it, though, is that yeah, there are so many distractions that you don't have to worry about. You know, you don't have to pay to worry about the GST bill. You don't have to worry about paying power. You don't have to worry about issues with, you know, your partner at home. Well, sometimes there are those, but that um the, I, hope she's, I hope she's not listening. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking about the conflict with your rowing partner actually. Uh because <laughs> there are those things that you have to you have to worry about. Um but the the doing some of these other trips I've done, it's actually it life becomes much simpler because you get rid of the noise. And so coming back to the question around what gets in the way of performance, I think it's allowing noise and other stuff to creep in. Um, like if you, you know, if we think about training for a, a fun run or anything like that, you know, you wake up at 6am or, or something and gee, that gee, it's warm under that duvet, getting the feet into the, 
the pair of running shoes and taking your legs out of the bed, that's pretty tough. When you're in the South Pole, you know, you'd may as well get out because you ain't going to get home any quicker if you stay in bed. So, yeah, just, just the noise, clearing out all of that other stuff, that's what gets in the way. Yeah. Let's talk about that noise thing um, around distractions. I mean, I imagine without getting all nitschke or whatever his name is, you know, if you have a why, you can handle any how, right? Um, or yeah. I butchered that. I'm sure there's a better articulation. We'll put it in the show notes. But when you have a higher purpose and you know what you want to do, I imagine a lot of that kind of noise and distraction goes away. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll, t- I'll take you back to a conversation I had with Sir Edmund Hillary one day. And, and like, what a guy, right? When I first met met him, it was like shaking hands with a bunch of bananas. You know, like this dude was huge. And before so, I end up, you, you, your mitts are pretty big already. you got a big pair. Of- <laughs> I've, I've, shaken, I've shaken your paws and you almost crushed my hand. <laughs> yeah, so maybe. Well, when – so I was I – was, I was looking after branches of, of of a bank around New Zealand, and and I reached this point where I thought I might look for another adventure. Um, that was an adventure, though. That there's legitimate challenges, and I found that really stimulating. But I went and saw Ed, and and I'd found out that no Kiwis had ever walked unaided from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole, and I also found out that. 50 years previously, he had driven tractors to the South Pole, which a lot of you know listeners will, will know about him and the Fergie tractors. So he, I said, look, gee, you know, what a great way to celebrate this anniversary of what you did 50 years ago. Um, Kevin and I, we want to be the first to drag sleds unaided, first Kiwis to drag sleds unaided to the pole. So it's about 1,200 k's and you've got to walk uphill and into the headwind and stuff to get there. And the South Pole sits at about the same height as Aoraki Mount Cook. So it's pretty high. And and I said that to him when we were having a cup of tea. And he, he looked at me and the words, I remember word for word what he said. They came out and he said, is that it? And and you listen to it and you think, oh, gee, you know, what are, what are you meant to say to the guy? And after fumbling my cup of tea and probably dropping my ginger nut biscuit or something, I, I said, what do you mean? And what he said next is, I'm pretty certain is kind of word for word, and it's resonated in it. I've used it a long time since. But he said, whatever you do, make sure it's the most demanding but rewarding challenge that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And and I thought it was, but I went away and I did some more research. Kevin and I did some more research, and we found out that, yeah, no Kiwis had walked there unaided, but no one from anywhere had ever walked from the coast to the South Pole and back again unaided. So no dogs or horses or tractors and things like that. So that became kind of the goal. Um, it turns out there's a reason why no one had ever done that before. <laughs> we were going to find out. But <laughs> when you talk about this higher purpose and and what are we trying to achieve, in my mind now and, and the way that I work and based on all of this massive chunk of research that we've done over the years on kind of peak performing organizations, um, it's this aspect of being clear on what is the greatest imaginable challenge. And, 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 and that is a lens for what we say yes and no to, Um, you know, I've always, when I think about strategy, I always sort of come back. I love that phrase from Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Um, And so I think 
because in that campaign for us, for Antarctica, there would have been, I don't know, 10,000 tiny little decisions that we had to have made throughout it. Uh, and without being really clear on, let's call it, you could call it purpose, you could call it goal or BHAG or, or choose your kind of mentality, but having that lens to adequately explain your intent, your direction, and how you want to make a difference. And in a corporate setting, being really clear on the value you're trying to create as well from the perspective of the customer, but that's kind of, you're all over that, Sinjin. So that that influenced all those kind of tiny decisions for us. So I reckon that, yeah, I can't remember what the question was that I'm trying to answer, but that, I think that might cover it. <laughs> I think I think, uh, I think it's one I'm, I could probably talk to you all day about some Edmund Hillary and, and, and you getting an audience with him, which obviously was well-deserved. I mean, you've answered the question fine. It's like, what are the what are the blockers and inhibitors to performance? And I think we talked about the noise and and how oh, a yeah. purpose or a BHAG or a goal or a strategy gets you focused on that. So tell me more about. Tell me, I'm just a bit of a fanboy here. Tell me more about Sed. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty ruthless. Well, no, and I really don't mean this in a in a negative way at all. Um, but ruthless in terms of passion for what this what the outcome is you know like just that the sort of person and we all know people like this this isn't just ed but we all know kind of that person that comes to mind when you think that sort of steely look in their eyes that when they say they're really passionate about doing something you kind of get that vibe that they mean it um and sometimes I'm not sure if I'm that person. Um, so I have to try and play mind tricks on myself to become that person. And what I mean by that is um, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is this has been researched. I, I'm pretty sure it must have been researched. But the more people you tell that you're going to do something, the more likely it is that it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, um, and so when I've come away from from like that discussion with Ed and we came up with the goal about the South Pole, you know, how many people can you tell? You know, like when I'm spending time with with boards of directors around shareholder intent or, or corporate you know, goals or anything else, you know, and it's that sort of nervous moment when they have to agree, do we share this with everyone or don't we? And, you know, you know there's sometimes some sensitive information around some goals, but in the most part around do we want to create greater value for customers and grow our scale? or grow the depth of relationship with customers, you know, if you weren't prepared to share that with people, you know, there's a good chance that you're a little bit scared about whether you want to commit or not. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I've always had to try and just find ways to um, kind of get myself on the hook uh, because it's hard to get off. Yeah, I suppose it's, is it almost like an addiction? That's a, such a hard word, harsh word, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, setting yourself, like I'm going to use a terrible, I'm going to use a terrible example here. Tyson Fury, English heavyweight boxer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he became heavyweight champion of the world, uh, beat Klitschkoff, and then um, and then had a mental breakdown, went on the drugs, went on the booze, just completely went off track because he didn't have a higher purpose because he didn't go to the next level. What What are your thoughts on that? Maybe not on Tyson, but like, uh, yeah, yeah. That that ability oh. of achievement, but then going once you've achieved something, 
which is rare for a lot of people, but then going again, like for you and the way you're wired and the way I know you is you set yourself a goal and then generally yeah. it will give out a very, very good nudge. And then you go again. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's, I think for me, um, like, like I did the ocean that, that, that was that was awesome and a massive credit to Kevin for, for his preparation and others who had helped that campaign and I was able to sort of ride on their coattails a bit. We came back from that and instead of going from the Atlantic to then rowing the Pacific, we went to the coldest co- continent on earth and, and tried to apply what we thought was a process for success to a very, very different uh, challenge. And And I think it's, for me, it was how do we apply ourselves um, to different environments uh, or to different challenges, but but using the things that excite us. And that and in my higher purpose, using those words, it wasn't about rowing. It was more about achieving, you know, the most demanding but rewarding thing I could imagine with people who I am inspired by. And so that's that's probably what's kept it quite fresh for me. That the challenges, the literal challenges changed, but the process has been able to sort of stay more relatively the same. And that's why, you know, since the South Pole, I didn't then go and choose Greenland or or, or something. Um, I then started this big campaign working with young Kiwi kids around New Zealand. And then from there, it's, um, you know, working with with a lot of exporters, in fact, on, on behalf of Trade and Enterprise NZ. So it's maybe the more I talk, maybe I've got commitment issues. Um, but <laughs> it's the, the exciting thing for me is around inspiring performance. Um, and, and at a point in my life, it was about what is my performance, which might be inspiring. Um, but, but more, more nowadays, it's, it's more about the verb or the call to action of that I have to do. And that is inspiring the performance of others or being that ignition for them to understand how that looks like for them. Yeah, and we might get into more of that soon. I, I've got another question for you, Jamie. And forgive forgive them, and I know you'll answer them as best you can. Do you feel you can motivate an unmotivated person? Huh. Um, yeah. Well, I can if I if I can if I draw on feedback alone, I've sometimes heard from people that have said, um. Hey, look! It was great, great to meet you, or it was great to work with you. Um, I wanted to share what something that I've done um, since, sort of, you know, the conference or the talk or the workshop or the, you know, the time that we started, you know, interacting with one another. And and so you could say, well, maybe I did motivate them to do something, but I think deep down, all of those people that I've worked with they had a deep sense of motivation to do something. They just didn't know how, or they didn't have the, the, the tricks to play on themselves to get started or to maintain momentum and things like that. Um, a lot of the work that I, so that's just, the, I can only speak on the feedback. So in terms of a lot of the work that I would do nowadays, I find myself working with people who are, have a degree of aspiration anyway. So they kind of want to get better. If, yeah. if people are absolutely satisfied with with what they're doing right now, and they and there will be reasons for that, through 
what, for whatever reason, I just end up probably not working with them because a lot of what I do is about growing or or improvement or peak, achieving greater performance. So, yeah, look, um, yeah, can't speak for those that I haven't worked with. I suppose is the answer. There's no, there's no right or wrong. So, and, and sorry to spring that one on you. I, I probably no, should have good. given you more. I should have given you more context around because the reason for my question, the the intent there was in a sales context, because you, you know, you're the leadership guy, I'm the sales guy, is there are a lot of people I train or coach where uh, I'm like you, is you've got to have the right people in the room. They have to have a degree of intrinsic motivation. They have to want to change yeah. because I find it, I think, you know, you'll probably know this better than any bloke, like surround Frana Fane, you know, the um, UK mountaineer. He said his number one recruitment attribute he looked for in his expeditionary teams, his mountaineering teams, was intrinsic motivation, the ability to kick your own ass. And so I think you said there around like unlocking, finding yeah. that, you know, having almost like the metaphor might be made like blowing on the embers. You know, it's there, but it's not firing up. And yeah. how you use your tools and techniques with Kevin and or, or, or with Mike to unlock those. Because you're right, you've got to have some degree of motivation because otherwise – it's 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 extremely hard right oh yeah 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 completely i think in i think in the at, at least in new zealand um i've found that yeah those embers are there sometimes sometimes there's that lack of confidence to own it um or being scared of committing um you know and people kind of come up with lots of reasons why you know they shouldn't speak out or be proud or 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 shout out what their goals are and that they'll get cut down or something um but yeah i think there is there is something from a yeah from a sales point of view you must see plenty of times where they're just not confident to ask the question you know or but but they do have the drive to to do it but for whatever reason it's just not there so those tricks that you're providing them will will be helping um yeah for some of the big goals for me it's it's absolutely been about wanting others to have a have a desire to improve their current state and not because of material reasons it could be any reasons but this whole personal purpose or or gaining greater clarity on what they stand for that's a pretty good basis for then choosing what the goal can be um but as you know, you said with what Ranoff was talking about, it's the DNA that sits underneath it all that we need to know first. Well said. Well said. So talk to me around that whole current state versus desired state or future state. Is that what you guys work on? Like, you know, when you're working with teams, I mean, obviously share what you want or not, but we'll obviously provide yeah. some, some reference in the show notes. But like, how do you take people on that journey that have got that ember as we milk that metaphor, like they want to grow, they want to develop, they want to reach a higher purpose and higher potential and a higher level of performance. What what process do you go through to get them from their current state to their desired or future state, if if that makes sense? Yeah. Um from from the from the from a peak performance perspective, um what we know from research done back from the late 90s and then different iterations since with instead of sporting organizations corporates and and other things we know that peak performance is about the continual progression um 
towards an inspirational purpose. Um, but but that in itself is like, oh, yeah, so what? Well, what does that really mean? So sometimes the slightly more crunchy, granular sort of pitch or elevated sort of speech that I'd say to people around, well, what does peak performance look like in teams nowadays? Well, we know that it means that there's clarity and alignment on the value that they create, where to play and how to succeed, what to focus on and how to maintain momentum. We know that from a strategy perspective, from a performance perspective, peak performers, so those who are sustainably exceeding the performance of their industry peers, they have clarity and alignment on the value they create, where to play and how to succeed, what to focus on and how to maintain momentum. And the four layers of that, well, first of all, clarity and alignment is important. So if you have clarity, you can make choices, what we say yesterday. We've talked about that. And if you have alignment on something, it's not the same as the word agreement. The word alignment, in my mind, is around sort of 90% agreement, but 100% commitment. You know, so we need diversity of thinking and we need to be creative and things. But once we sort of a decision is made, we need to create, you know, commit to it. So that's there. But in terms of those other four statements I'm, I said, you know, and this is sort of overlapping into the other great work you do, mate, but uh, the value we create. So, you know, an organization is a group of people that come together to create value for another group of people. So who is that other group of people and what's the value we're creating for them? So we need that philosophy of what we stand for to create that creates value. So that's the first kind of, and, and also what we're trying to achieve. So that's level one, purpose, value, goal. The next one is around the logic of how we deliver that value. And again, this is certainly um, in, in your territory. So when we talk about business models and where to play, how to succeed, I often say, I often, my default is not necessarily where to play and how to win because their goal might not be to win. So it's just to succeed with whatever they're trying to achieve. So that's the business model. So channels and, and everything else. But what we focus on, and this re- relates to, you know, the big organizations, or if you're walking to the South Pole, you know, y- you just can't do everything that you might want to achieve. So it's just what are those top challenges that you're going to focus on and put energy into? So to have clarity and alignment on on what those few big rocks are. And then there can't be many things more motivating than a sense of progress. So how is it that we're going to maintain momentum? And from an academic point of view, I guess we'd we'd call that our operating model. So being really clear on governance, decision rights, systems, processes, communication, customer experience, like performance management, like reward recognition, all that kind of stuff. But the 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 really gritty part of that, which I love seeing teams develop, and and in in the South Pole, we did it by drawing lines on the roof of our tent to illustrate progress. But for others, it would be about what is what's the sustained rhythm or what's the cadence that they're trying to get into, which will break down all of this other stuff in pursuit of this purpose or, or greatest imaginable challenge. So, yeah, so that so. Yeah, again, sort of. You got to keep butting in, Sinjin. I keep rabbiting, rabbiting on, but the, the this whole thing around clarity and alignment of where we're going, how we'll get there, you know, what we've got to figure out, and how we're going to maintain momentum. Mm-hmm. That for me, if we can say we've got clarity and alignment on those four things, you know, a team is going to be on their way to doing good stuff. Yeah, it sounds like a great model, and I know there will be a lot more that we can go into depth. And again, in the show notes, we'll provide some links to you and Mike and the, the great work that you do. So tell me, Jamie, my friend, around 
that whole, that big word, you know how you talked about sometimes there's that reluctance to publicly commit? Oh, yeah. And like, oh, should we share, should I say, should I share this goal or, or a BHAG or we're going to go 10X or whatever the flavor of the month is? Like this whole accountability kind of thing. What's your views on, again, kind of yeah. unblocking that and getting into it? Because there's a, there's a massive, and it's very understandable human nature, right? You're putting your neck out, tall poppy syndrome, which is right here in NZ around, well, I'm actually going to 10X my business or we're going to, we're going to increase sales by 30% in the next 12 months, or we're going to get 50 new customers or whatever it needs to be for whatever world and context we're working in. But that accountability thing, how do you, how do you work with guys and girls on that, that, that accountability thing and, and getting past that? Uh, yeah. Scaredness, scaredness around committing. Yeah. Um, what's an example? Um, well, if, if we think about the the South Pole, I mean, the first, I had the prior to that campaign to give listeners some context. It was a real sphincter tightening moment for me choosing a goal like that. We imagine. I, 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 I imagine. The only time I'd ever been to the snow previous to that campaign was at a sixth form PE camp when I was at high school. <laughs> and I wasn't and I wasn't even allowed on the chairlift because we couldn't afford it. Um so like that and so you sort of say, Oh yeah, no, well I'll 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 go on and do this and things. But then actually saying to other people, um it sort of made me feel a little bit more empowered when I talked to others about it. And I think there's that phrase, what we focus on becomes our reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's that sort of stuff. I found that when I started saying it out loud to a few people, uh, it, it started to change the way that I thought about it. Not, it didn't make it feel any easier, but it started to feel more real. And and but then you tell just your your partner and and you know if I just told my wife Kate you, you know she, the, if you pull if you if you say no then later on they're still obliged to love you right so so you know we, you we need hope to tell so. we hope so yeah yeah that, that, that's right you, you need to tell other people so people that you don't really want to let down in our case what we tried to do was we sort of sent out a press release and you know and then that sort of ended up creating the model for how we try and fund it but. The if I think about back into a corporate setting and you know, how do we feel about taking on these big challenges? The way that we've or that I've seen it work re reasonably well is we want we want people to have a shared goal. We want people to accept where we're going to put our effort and where we're not going to put our effort. And that's around what are the strategic challenges or priorities and stuff. But then to make it feel a little bit more practical, instead of it seeming really intimidating to begin with, let's just be clear on roles and responsibilities to make it feel a bit more palatable. And there are acronyms out there like RASCI and who's responsible for doing bit, bit stuff, but who's accountable for decision making and who's supporting. I've found that in order to at least ignite progress, you know, accept and have a shared goal, but then be clear on who is responsible for doing the first little bit. And then who is, you know, who's acknowledging it or who's approving it or who's accountable. 
and and make sure that even for the tiniest of actions in a plan, make sure that there's only ever one R for that who's you know one person that's responsible because because otherwise you know and there's nothing more mo- like frustrating than not knowing who's going to be doing stuff, but having it really clear on who's the person responsible for doing something. They they may not be doing all of the work, but they're the butt kicker to make sure something happens. Uh, that sort of stuff I've found is another way to break down this paralysis or or or, or not the inability to break inertia. You know, just we need to find a way to for something to happen, and getting people accountable is 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 a best the best way. Putting their name against stuff. Yeah, that's what's worked for me at least. I like that because you're you're literally breaking it down. I got some good advice. I can't remember which book I read it in. Maybe it was a Malcolm Gladwell book. It's saying if you're ever injured or you're in a crash or an accident, you call out one person and you ask them to go and get the ambulance. You yeah. don't ask the crowd because if you ask anyone, no one does anything. And yeah. uh, you call out that person. I mean, that that exactly is – is even in some of the health and safety or guides for I think even surf lifesaving New Zealand here it's you know there's an emergency you look at someone and you say go and phone and get the ambulance and come back to me once you have you know so it's as it's as deliberate as that which is so I mean there's you can really dig into the psychology of why that's a thing to happen so simple yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. powerful because you're, what you're doing is you're assigning responsibility to the, the one R, the one name that you've talked about. Yeah. So, Jamie, yeah. I'm conscious of time, my man, but I reckon there's a couple of things I want to cover off before, a couple of treats for the listeners and maybe a couple of stories we can share and then we can both go and have beers. But, like, uh, you probably don't drink beer anymore. You're probably like a, you know, like a esteemed athlete that you are. Um, <laughs> I think you're thinking about someone else. <laughs> <laughs> With your transatlantic rowing, I remember talking to you years about this. I'm going to talk about the sea anchor story because I want you to share that because I think that's very important. But before we do that, with you and Kevin, I want you to talk about failure and this relationship, uneasy relationship some people have with failure. Again, correlated to what we just talked about, sometimes people don't want to share their goal for fear of failure, you know, for fear of actually losing and not achieving that goal because obviously the – the South Pole expedition for you, and so Ed going yeah. is is that it? So wanting to go there and back unassisted, yeah. which is like mental. You are mental, and I mean that obviously with love and affection. But yeah. that's crazy. That was a high, high, big goal, big, 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 big fuck off goal. Yeah. But, um, how did you deal with the failure? Tell, tell oh, the I know. Maybe take, take take us through that because maybe some of them aren't actually familiar with the story. Yeah. So. Yeah. So as I said, the we went to the we went and we started off saying like we want to be the first Kiwis to the South Pole unaided and unsupported. That's cool. Change the goal. First people from anywhere to go there and back unaided and unresupplied, which which doesn't necessarily double the size of the goal, but it certainly adds about thirty percent onto the challenge. Um, because you, you're walking, yeah, the hardest chip part is to walk there unaided. Once you get there, you turn around and you, you put some kites up and you fly home um, back to the coast. So it's about 50 days or 60 days there and about 25 days back. Now of that, so we never got to do the return trip. 
Well, we never completed it. So you, you're absolutely right. We had this goal and we didn't we didn't achieve it. Uh, and there's reasons for that. Um, but without yeah, and with it, and we don't need to even worry about those. But what I came away from the campaign thinking was uh, two things. Um, the first was that for a long time I'd focused on the binary or rational aspect of did we do it or didn't we? You know, thinking of it in noughts and ones sort of thing. And then I came away after reaching the South Pole and there was this guy there, scientists, they don't get out much down there. And they said, um, you crazy Kiwis, you nuts, uh, how much weight did you lose? And I didn't really think too much of it other than wondering if this guy was a bit weird. But I did go and look in the bathroom because we'd been wrapped up the whole time. And in 52 days, I'd lost about 32 kilos. Wow. And and I looked like a very different person. Now, we did end up flying home from the South Pole, um, not at the expense of the taxpayer, I might add, we we're completely independent. But we, I, 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 re- I realized that this whole thing around failure, I, I was able to transfer that into more around what I'd learned about the effort of the process. So yeah, well, yeah, we were the first Kiwis to walk there unaided. We were also the first people to drag 160 kilograms there unnecessarily. But we, but the le- the lesson around failure was was more around what have I learned from the process and what am I going to do differently next time? And I, the the weight loss was only the aha moment for me to then translate into a whole bunch of other lessons. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing was that um, Kevin and I, the, the second lesson about that failure was that Kevin and I, we had this, this chat over a beer afterwards and we said, look, if either of us suggests going back to do it again, the other has permission to give them an uppercut. <laughs> um, and, and I think if there's, you know, it was, um, and I'm not saying not going, going, yeah, going back to do something um, is a bad thing. All I'm saying is that for Kevin and I, we, we, we sometimes reflected on not having completed the return trip, but far out, we achieved this thing that I never even thought we were good enough to reach the start line. And for that, and then getting to the South Pole, you know, I've taken lessons from that campaign that I've been able to achieve stuff since that I would have thought never could have been a poss- possibility. Possibility. So, you know, this whole thing of, you know, um, the the silver linings, or you know, sometimes when you think you're making the least progress, you're sort of actually making the most. You know, like there's a real legitimate benefit and think. And insights like that because it's certainly applied to us yeah i mean failure has such a stigma but what i love about it i mean i i have to say i don't think i dealt particularly well with the lockdowns i wasn't a big fan of it i'm a gregarious character I like i get my energy from other people and weirdly i drew in the garage a sheet of paper and, and the question on it was what will i learn from this what can i learn from this and it's not dissimilar obviously nowhere near your situation with you and Kevin but I think taking the positive is that actually in every failure there is a massive lesson or multiple lessons you can take out and therefore it's not a failure because if we if we didn't fail we'd never succeed right yeah 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 and and to add to that you know I don't I'd hate for people or and for myself and my my goals is to think that the whole failure thing is only a retrospective 
kind of discussion. You know, if we think of entrepreneurs, if we think of Silicon Valley, it is absolutely embedded into a bunch of really good design thinkers that we're going into things knowing that there'll be failure. As, rather than us talk about failure as if it's, it, it might happen late, but we'll we'll do a bit, do it as a reflection kind of thing if, if we don't. You know, and for the same reason that I was chatting to someone a little while ago and um and and they were really well from really familiar with the Silicon Valley kind of environment and a lot of these startups. And um the Chancellor Angela Merkel in, in Germany invited this person over to to talk about, hey, how can we create a Silicon Valley inside of Germany? And their response was, Well, I don't think you can. And then it was like, well, why is that? And it was that there was this such passion or cultural DNA about perfection that just the, the environment to create these embryonic ideas for businesses and accept that only one in a hundred is going to become a really big thing. You know, that's that's a really hard thing given the DNA of the place. Um, now that may be a huge, that's probably a huge generalization. Um because there will be fantastic entrepreneurs and design thinking and things that come out of German engineering, and you have to have that. Uh, but in this context, I thought that was a really interesting insight around going into something, thinking about failure, rather than trying to justify failure after the fact. Yeah, retrospectively. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of topical at time of recording and time of show here. You know, All Blacks have had some pretty uh, bit of a rough ride. You know, that would probably fascinate you and Mike and Kevin, particularly around some of the psych, psych there and the reasons. Yeah, yeah. And we probably haven't got time to go into those, but like New Zealand public, New Zealanders generally are not big fans of failure. No, no, no way. No. And, and, and you know, I suppose it, it sort of maybe draws back to, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Germany example or, or entrepreneurial Silicon Valley kind of example where you, you're meant to feel bad about sort of you know failure if it happens where where you know some of the most successful people went into a whole bunch of stuff eyes wide open that they will not succeed rather than trying to sort of justify it later on um but yeah when you when your purpose is as lofty as the all blacks which is something like to inspire and unite a nation you can understand why they're feeling pretty sheepish if they don't deliver on that purpose because it's a really high bar isn't it um and and for a lot of people if their bar was as equally as high um both they and others would hold them to that level um so in some ways you know should probably cut them a bit of slack um because if any of the rest of us were publicly expected um to deliver like deliver that consistently um they you know would probably feel the pressure as well but yeah that's a, probably another conversation i think yeah i think it's just that whole you know that whole correlation between i'm not going to stick my neck out and i'm not going to skite if there is such you know such a word or the label because i might set myself up for failure and if i fail i might be disowned and dejected and my in my status my social significance my social standing all those psychological drivers are a big thing but like jamie what i wanted to move on to the Last few things is like um again we're we're at a pretty interesting time of the world. 
I tell you what I really enjoyed. I loved your emails that came out during COVID. I think you sent it out again on the second wave or even the first one. I think it was, I think you said it was very well read, very well open, one of your big ones. And you talked about, I think you might compiled all the, the positive things that were actually happening. And I can't, I don't know if you remember that, but like you sent out a really good email that was requested because I think we were deep in COVID and leading to that or leading on from that is like this whole kind of, we talked a bit about the physical, but now like the mental, the mental performance, the mental resilience. And like for you, what would you conscious of time, but what, what would your advice be to the listeners where they might be under pressure? Uh, we know a lot of farmers and some might listen to this as well as a lot of input costs, a lot of labor costs, immigration, fertilizer prices, um, environmental stewardship, um, carbonization, losing uh, land to trees, all the rest of it, but in the rural setting, but anyone that's listening that's facing challenges and the world's, I'd say it's a pretty uncompromising place at the moment. I mean, it's also a very fascinating place, but like, and wherever there is challenge, there is opportunity. But what's your advice to people who are facing those, facing challenges and what's the mental kind of take you put in? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you're a big, big guy on reflection as well. I remember that, yeah. I remember that lesson from our last chat. What's your advice to someone yeah. there facing challenge and adversity? Because I, I would say it's not for some businesses. It's not. It's not easy. No. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And there are very real challenges facing a whole bunch of businesses in New Zealand and offshore. The one. The one really broad thing I'd probably say. I think we touched on it earlier. Is this phrase? What we focus on becoming becomes our reality. So, my my piece of advice would be: be very deliberate and mindful about where you get your information or or the people you surround yourself with the the advice you you seek out um and ensure that it's from trusted sources and that the data or anecdotal messages that you hear and surround you with um you can rely on because there are plenty of examples by some economic commentators and others that don't truly reflect, and if I just sort of, you know, pick one very small aspect, um, it would be, you know, you hear some, some snippets on the, on the news that don't, I think, truly reflect um, what is actually happening out there. If you sort of dive into Statistics New Zealand's or PAYE or tax, um, you know, data that's available or you know employment data it doesn't always reflect what we hear through through various channels and and by having inaccurate um data or by spending time with those who it's the cup half empty you know mentality um it changes the way we we all see the world and that and that informs the the way we think and then that informs the way we behave so um there are people it's not to say that only hang out with with those where it's rose tinted lenses i'm not saying that but but some of the people if we use the cup half empty and full analogy you know who are the people out there where their approach is that you know the cup is only half full you know which is a slightly different take on it right you know they recognize that there are challenges but they're proactive 
they're looking for solutions. They they're trying to they they're ones that despite challenges they are finding ways to create sustainable customer value. And what can we learn from that? And if we if I draw back to the South Pole, kind of maybe finally, it's every day on the ice we would it was easy to become really demoralized about the slow progress when we were making no progress or broken tent poles or whatever. But we were sharing stories in this kind of structured little meeting that we'd have while drinking a fatty oil-based recovery drink each day. (laughs) And we'd share stories of other people who had demonstrated success despite challenges in pursuit of whatever their goals were. You know, Kevin comes from a business background as well, and so we're sort of sharing all these things. It took us ages to get to the South Pole, so we probably started making some stories up. But the, the message was at the end of this sort of mini meeting of storytelling, we'd say, what would that look like for us here on the ice tomorrow? And so we were trying to build momentum on stuff that works. Uh, and for us, that changed our mentality. And for those that, um, uh, I, I, the, for, the, for a lot of people I work with, it would be, yes, let's be vulnerable and, and understanding and accepting of the challenges. Let's also ask other people for what their challenges are. So don't wait for others to reach out to us. But certainly, let's try and move into the future, um, the unknown space with stuff that works rather than all of the baggage. Yeah. I like, um, I love that metaphor around the cup is half full. It's yeah. Not half, it's not half empty. And I think, you know, the, the cliches, there's a lot of cliches, but there's a lot of truism in cliches, you know, like, um, you know, what the mind can, um, conceive it can achieve and napoleon hill and all all those sort of things but the reality is i think the word i particularly like there is your there's there's two words that sort of really poked out a lot for me when you were talking is deliberate you you've actually been deliberate in the word of use of the word deliberate maybe you didn't realize you were but that deliberateness of saying deliberate i picked up on big time and like if you are deliberate and disciplined about what you want to achieve because you know you know what you want to achieve because like you say, your Alice in Wonderland quote, like if you don't know every road will take you, any road will take you there. If you know where you're going, it might not be a straight line, but you will, you will get there and there'll be knockbacks. And I mean, you've obviously got countless stories and we'll include a link on the, um, the sea anchor story on the Atlantic because quickly talk, quickly talk to that, Jamie, because I think that's important. We cover that. Tell me about, because that links really nicely around you think you're failing, but yeah, what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're rowing this race, uh, 18 other crews in the race, huge big storm hits us, and despite our best efforts, we're rowing into the currents and wind and not going anywhere. Uh, And we have no idea what the other crews are doing. And little do we know uh, that, well, the worst part of it was during the storm was that that was on day two of the race. So the the standard approach in by ocean rowers in times like this is to put out the sea anchor. It's a big parachute, and you know you're not meant to go anywhere because you're holding onto the ocean. Right now, we tried that for five minutes. The currents, it seemed, were dragging us backwards. Without knowing what anyone else was doing, we thought, okay, we'll pull the anchor in. We don't want to go backwards, so let's keep rowing. And we rowed and rowed, and we didn't go anywhere for you know thirty hours or something, ages, ages, and it was horrible. So the storm finally dies down and we 
find out where we are because a little signal goes from every boat up to the headquarters of the race. And this mate of ours, Rob, says, look, you guys, you're doing great. Every other crew put out their sea anchor and kept it out, and now you're in front by 30 miles because everyone else drifted backwards. So we haven't moved anywhere, and we're leading the damn race. So we, you know, fast forward 40 days, um, and we won the race, get the world record, and the distance between us and second place, believe it or not, is about 30 miles. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you realise that, and it wasn't, and I, and I always, when people ask, I, I always say that it wasn't about grit, it wasn't about, you know, every crew decided to be there, every crew was putting in effort, every crew was working hard, um, but it's interesting that every crew also, and it wasn't just day two, there was other storms as well, that every crew had a choice about how they responded. And and every crew, I'm I'm certain, heard about what we did on day two. But yet on on at later on in the race, you know, when we had more storms, I think all crews uh, often put their sea anchor out again. And so it also that also showed that Kevin and I weren't the fastest or strongest rowers. There was something else going on. Um, so look, this whole thing around when we think we're making making the least progress, you know. We, we're actually making them. We, when we think we're making the least progress, we're actually making the most. I think it's quite useful. The one caveat to that story I'd like to say though is, we did choose to do the race. For some people, when we think natural disasters and other emergencies, they have massive, you know, challenge and and requires resilience. But it's for reasons that they didn't choose. You know, so I really admire those people and examples. Um, in a corporate setting, uh, we all choose to do that, though, you know, our roles and things like that. We've, you know, so for the most part, for a lot of us, we we can have a chance to own our responses to things and we can be deliberate with everything we do. I think that's a really good way to end. I remember Victor Frankl, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. That book is an amazing book. I uh, recommend it to everyone, particularly to my poor, poor suffering children. And, you know, he talks about we have a choice how to respond. Uh, yeah. And, you know, as you rightly say, with that heavy caveat, you know, in a natural disaster, then naturally that choice sometimes is taken away from you. But in your choice of you and Kevin, you decided to uh, to keep right mm-hmm. and keep going, even though you felt you weren't making progress. So I think it's a really, really good story around the choice we've got to respond. In. And in this world right now, there's a lot of choices we can make. And I think where you've added massive value to the listeners around be really conscious of the media you consume. Uh, the environment you put yourself in. Again, I've talked to other guests around environmental design in a more holistic sense. And, you know, how Jim Ryan and Tony Robbins coach talked about, like, you are the product of the five people you spend most time with. So you kind of mm-hmm. like, you're choosing carefully and your your media diet, your consumption is much like your food, you know, and and and, and media news, without beating up news, there's obviously some value there. It's, it's got a real negativity bias because obviously if it bleeds, it reads. So, Jamie, I've... Um, I've loved chatting. I know you're a super busy bloke and I really appreciate you giving us your time and sharing your stories. Um, we're going to put some stuff in the show notes. Where can, if listeners are finding this useful and they like what you're about and what you're doing, where do they find out more about you guys and what you do at Inspiring Performance? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the website, probably the easiest go-to spot, inspiringperformance.co.nz. Um, 
yeah, a little bit plenty more information. There's some footage on there and plenty of images about some of the trips we've done, but also some of the uh, information around the um, uh, the the strategy stuff. If there's one thing I'd encourage people to do, um, if they're thinking about performance and the strategy of their own team, is there is a free pulse check or performance pulse check uh, on the website that they can do. It's 18 questions long and it distills down decades worth of research on um, business models and performance related to purpose and, and other things uh, into a pretty simple little test. Um, yeah, so that's that metric there if anyone's interested and it just you know flies back to their email. Um, so that'd be something I'd re- recommend people if they're interested. Awesome, Jamie. Hey, um, I always enjoy our chats. I know we don't probably talk as often as we like. I think it's been a few years since we've had a proper proper yarn, but uh, super grateful for your generosity, your wisdom, your insights, and uh, always a pleasure to hang out with you, mate. Cool. Thanks, Engine.